I do see a lot of people making inroads into solving for Bharat, but not in a way where I would say it's really cracking the heart of a problem. For the solving for the world, I think we've made way more progress in that. Welcome to another episode of the Startup Operator. In this episode, I spoke to Ravdeep Chavla, who has operated at some of the leading consumer internet startups in the country, like ClearTrip, Precharge, Mintra, and Book My Show. Ravdeep now leads product at HelloFresh, uh, and we spoke about a bunch of interesting trends that have come to be right now. We spoke about how the consumer internet space and product as a function itself has evolved in the last 10 years and what we've learned from the way users have taken to some of these products. Listen in to this super interesting conversation and let me know what you think. Hey Ravdeep, how's it going? Going good. Uh, thanks for inviting me here. Yeah, pleasure to have you. Uh, so I thought we can, you know, start with a little bit of uh, an introduction. So you've uh, spent time at, uh, you know, ClearTrip, FreeCharge, BookMyShow, Mintra and so on. Right? Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest uh, consumer tech startups to come out of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, how have you seen this uh, uh, consumer internet space change over the time that you've worked in these companies? Right. I think... Uh... Just sort of taking a step back for the last seven odd years uh, is when I've spent time in these companies. For about five years before that, I was in management consulting. And so I came after my MBA is when I came into product management, really with very little expectations of what product management actually could be or means in the on the real world. I think from my standpoint, uh, there are three things that I have seen become very critical over the period that that I have been PMing. I think the first one is that uh, behavioral economics has started to play a huge role in how companies build products out. Uh, most of the large e-commerce companies today are A-B testing work machines to a certain extent. There is data for everything that which is possible when uh, even back in 2013 when i started it wasn't this productionized a machine and right now it's taken for granted the positive side of that is a lot of the hard consumer problems example trust for instance have been solved because people could directly target a small uh, behavioral, behavioral economics problem measure data around it solve it so the likes of Airbnb and Uber can exist at scale today if you look at the last 10 years or so, just because these problems have been tackled. Yeah. I think the yeah. negative of that, obviously, to a large extent, is that uh, if you, there is an incentive to suck you into a black hole of information or clickbait, you will be sucked into that just because the behemoth is too hard to control. I feel like the product <laughs> managers hold all the strings. strings. Basically, we're like the, you guys are the puppet masters and we're like, you know, minions just like dancing to the floor uh, of your uh, I mean, I wish I could disagree, but the fact of the matter is, in it, I mean, given that we are talking at the point in time where Twitter and Facebook are in like huge amounts of furor for exactly this topic, I, I think it's a fair assessment. It's not, and this is right. uh, one of the other changes that I did want to talk about as as well, I think. So 
I don't have a better word for it. Maybe ubiquity is, is a good word for it or scale is a big word for it. But if you look back at say, uh, two, two factors, right? One, just sort of sort the biggest companies in the world by market cap, you would find the top few are tech companies, tech platforms in, in that sense. The second one being uh, when these customer, when these companies report usage numbers, they're talking about billion plus users. So you're talking about the size of a small country's GDP and the largest population uh, of the countries in the world, right? Yeah. At this scale, yeah. companies who are operating platforms are operating like a small country. And what public policy and choice theory mm. and these fields teach us is that you can't do centralized control. It's just not possible to have a central autocratic dictator telling what the rules of the game should be. And most control, better control is more federalized in the hands of the users. Yeah. And which is partly what if I was a betting man for the next 10 years, I would say macroeconomics, public policy, these people will form more uh, PM positions and they will shape the agenda quite differently in that sense. So, the statement that you made about us being played like puppets, right? I think that should reduce over time because the ambitions of at least the larger companies seem to be now operate a new currency of your own and things on those lines, right? They can't sustain with the models that we've been seeing in right, the last right. years. At least that's my personal statement. Well, it's a fascinating thread to kind of pick up on, right? Which is the fact that, you know, plenty of, for example, media or whatever is going to, is going to become entirely or has become entirely decentralized, open source. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're going to probably have a Reddit kind of a verification or upvoting for uh, things mm -hmm. to really surface uh, what is real, true, important, insightful, etc. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think like a lot of this innovation, uh, you know, truth be told, has been product-led, right? So, so that's a fantastic, uh, you know, sort of note to uh, ask you about, you know, how much of uh, how much of data do you consume on a daily basis, right? As a product manager, there's there's just a ton of things that you could, a uh, ton of signals that you could pick up on, right? So, uh, you know, how do you decide what is your, uh, you know, three, four, ten things maybe that uh, you really, really care about? Mm -hmm. So, I think I'll break it down in very simple terms right so what i try to do is at one point in time for the time for the team that i'm trying to measure in i try to measure the one metric which kind of encompasses everything that the team does and then break that metric down into subparts as a decision tree i'll give a very simple example and this is more important for product teams in general right let's say that team's focus is new user growth, like which is the kind of team that I measure at HelloFresh. And if you were to look at, say, revenue, then you could have split it down into price into quantity, right? That's what you chart. Uh, now, because we are a subscription business, quantity is also uh, the number of times you can get people to buy more HelloFresh boxes over time. And what you're basically trying to do is split out the core number that you have into as many parts as possible. And that decision tree is then very clear to everybody to saying, this is the number that I'm measuring. This is how this number is affected by all of the sub parts. 
if the sub part moves up by five percent, my revenue moves up by five percent. And it's a question of both acquisition and retention. And then uh, the idea from an organizational design standpoint is that everybody owning a particular number then owns it completely and can pull all the levers that are in the decision tree. And then this mm. sort of decision tree is mapped onto the org structure as well in a very clear way. Uh, I hope that right. high level example made sense. Yeah. No, I mean, in some sense, you're establishing proxies for their final outcome that you want, right? So in your case, I mean, it's mm -hmm. revenue. So the way I look at it, I run a marketing team as well. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the marketers are, you know, even more unscrupulous, yeah. I would say, right? So they are famous for reporting, you know, 75% this and 300% that and whatever. But uh, ultimately, your metrics have to add up to some proxy of uh, revenue, right? So whatever it is that you're reporting, whether it's MQL, SQL, yeah. whatever, so in the, you know, in the 10 minutes that we've spoken itself, I sense that, you know, the role of a product manager mm -hmm. has sort of come a long way, yeah. right? I mean, in, in, in even in the last uh, five to 10 years, I would mm -hmm. say, right? Uh, typically, I mean, a product person was somehow, uh, you know, was someone who knew a little bit of engineering, mm -hmm. right? Who could kind of articulate what that meant to non-engineers yeah. and had a sense of business. Mm -hmm. Right, so sort of a an overlap of all these three things, mm -hmm. right? Uh, from that, it's become you know extremely data driven, extremely. Uh, I I feel like at, at this point of time, it operates more like how FMCG product uh, uh, you know owners or marketers or mm -hmm. sort. Do they call them product marketers or product owners? Yeah, something of that sort, managers, right? At least so, my friends and yes. product managers. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's sort of coming to that paradigm mm -hmm. now, right? It has evolved in that direction, even though I will add the caveat that product owner roles across multiple organizations vary dramatically. Uh, in my yeah. experience, the digital product companies, right? Uh, anybody who is delivering a service digitally, for instance, like a Spotify would be a very good example. There, a product owner is actually the owner of the business in, in a certain way that you have to be responsible for the PNL and you're also responsible for delivering the best customer experience possible. Mm. Uh, and in some of the companies that I do know, the product owner and the technical interface to the engineering team has also been sort of split out. Like Make My Trip is a good example, wherein uh, they have two roles. One faces more with engineering, one faces more with business and actually drives the business. Uh, so within the product manager function itself, product management function itself, there's a split correct. up? And it's... And our, multiple teams have multiple types of archetypes that, that they choose to follow. And I would say, argue, there is no single definition of saying this is what a product manager is supposed to do. In the companies that uh, at least I have worked for, I can give you a quick overview, right? So in Amintra, for instance, there is, it's a physical company. There is a huge amount of component of operations and the business teams are slightly separate. So there is an overlap between uh, product people doing some bit of product strategy work, but a lot of it is engineering focused in that sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a book my show, for instance, there would not be a huge amount of uh, difference between business strategy and product strategy because it's the same thing. It's a digital product at the end of the day, right? So 
the depending on the company the role can be dramatically different and i think the a scale of a good pm would be to also arrive at the right business strategy for the company and i haven't sort of uh, seen a particular direction towards saying po should own more of the business strategy i think the trend that i have seen is depending on how well a company is structured product owners actually have way more autonomy to make decisions hello fresh is one of those companies wherein i largely own all of the problem statements that affect business in that standpoint and i work with marketing people to do the execution the whatever that is needed but it could be i am very aware that it could be a very different setup in some of the smaller companies or in, in a lot of the indian companies that i have worked with right so what do you think about this uh, you know phenomenon of uh, product led uh, growth as such i mean i you know is it like some kind of a conspiracy from you know by you product folks to get rid of us poor sales and marketing people uh i wouldn't say so because here is a here is a quantified way of looking at it right let's say you're trying to redo tiktok for instance right mm. how much money would you have to spend to get to those usage levels at this point you're talking like billions and billions of dollars being spent to yeah. reach that scale right uh mm. I, but i i wonder how you can even model that as well uh, you know from a marketing perspective correct because here is yeah. it, i'll take an example from like an actual modeling standpoint for an e-commerce company like mintra right generally what is assumed is that your the cac that you should have for acquiring a customer should be largely equivalent to the gross margin that you have on your first transaction maybe you can go 20 25% extra because the second transaction or the third transaction of this customer i will somehow break even on average people might make like 1.3 1.4 transactions and hence uh, an order of magnitude difference from a gross margin means i will never be able to make money right right that's also because that's also because monetization on e-commerce and stuff like that is sort of late stage right now we have let's say 20 years of amazon we have uh, you know even 10 15 years of uh, flipkart and so on right so yeah mm-hmm. correct and if you take that view then mm. spending money to acquire customers has a theoretical uh, sort of roof that you cannot cross Ceiling. right now because that those economics start to break down if there is not and your ability doesn't have your product doesn't have an ability to scale then there is no way as a company you will ever be profitable so the way i would address right. that question is if product is not growth uh, growth is not product led any other alternative leads you to do and that's the way at least i would i would look at it the other right. slightly probably less offensive way of putting it i don't have good words for that is let's say that your marketing slash growth function operates at x efficiency you want to make it 2x x an order of magnitude mm-hmm. change to that efficiency can happen only if your product is fundamentally performing better right? that's true you could say yeah. that look yeah. i will introduce some engineers in there automate some bit of the processes you will get to 10 20% better but if you believe that i want to get 2x 3x better that's not going to happen yeah 
Yeah. No, I mean, fundamentally, I think marketing our growth, right? I mean, is to get people through the front door and then, you know, hope, hope like hell that after that, I mean, the product is good enough or the service or experience is good enough that, uh, you know, that sets off like the domino effect of people wanting to transact more or getting more of their friends and family involved, right? So, so that's, that's really what uh, every marketer also hopes for, really. So, yeah. True. So, True. you know, we spoke briefly about, you know, uh, modeling at scale and so on, right? So I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, again, I mean, you've seen scale at uh, significant levels with, you know, uh, Mintra, Book My Show, all mm-hmm. of these guys, right? What changes at scale? You know, how do you balance, uh, you know, your short-term trade-offs and your long-term trade-offs and stuff like that? Uh, you know, how do you, like, for example, how do you balance uh, growth and user delight, for example, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, can you walk us through, you know, some of these choices that you have to make at scale? I think uh, at scale, there are at least two factors that become very, very critical, right? Uh, one is a change that you're trying to make to your growth product. What percentage of your potential consumers will it try to hit is become, starts becoming a very critical question. Right. So if I am introducing a feature which will be relevant only to 10% of my user base, uh, how does it actually get modeled back into my equation to saying, is it worth it to do for only 10% or should I take a smaller uplift, which is for say 90% of the consumers and more relevant, right? And that leads, feeds back into the second part, which is a harder prioritization question. like for every single initiative that you're picking up, you then have to start as to do this initiative and prioritization starts to become harder as, uh, as you sort of scale out, right? Because, so uh, just to give an example, right? I joined Free Charge when it was still like a two BHK apartment. It wasn't like, it didn't really have an office as such. Uh, and we witnessed huge amounts of growth. There were things that we could do at that scale by just hollering at each other across a room, which are just not yeah. possible at probably the scale at which HelloFresh is in, in teams operating in 13 countries, engineering teams split about uh, split in at least two different locations in New York and Berlin. And the thing that starts to matter more is not being able to quickly hustle a side project which will impact only say 5%, 10% consumers. And I do believe at least in larger organizations, pulling together projects also becomes harder because overall execution is much faster in smaller teams and maintaining that agility in larger teams also is a little bit harder. So the mantra that at least I use at scale is a prioritize anything which has a larger impact across the highest consumer base. Even if it is a smaller percentage impact, I will rely on compounding at some point in time to for that to be materially useful at the end of an year because compounding for a larger growth base would be much, much better and much, uh, much better for overall. Much more impact. At least in that sense. Right. 
Right. Does that make sense? Because, yeah. I mean, no, that is that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, so one of the other things I want to talk to you is about uh, this whole trend of build for Bharat. Uh, you know, uh, that that seems to have taken mm-hmm. root, right? Uh, probably because of the India stack and you know few things related to that mm-hmm. as well. Uh, there's all, also this thing of, uh, you know, build for the world where, you know, I mean, companies can build a SaaS product, ship it, and then, you know, launch it. Uh, the likes of uh, Chargebee and, you know, Freshworks and so on have done that eminently well, right? Uh, so what do you think, I mean, so few of the, I mean, like la- a lot of the products that you have operated with are, you know, build for Bharat type of uh, products, right? Book my show, for example, right? Acutely Indian problem to solve. Uh, what does it take to build for Bharat and what does it take to build for the world? Uh, so I would like to go a little deeper there. Why would you presume that building for uh, Bharat would be very, very different? So let's list out the most popular products that at least I know for Bharat, right? There is a PUBG, there is a WhatsApp, there is a TikTok, right? I don't see these guys doing something very dramatically different for Bharat. Do they? Interesting. In the sense that uh, in some cases, at least I do know that TikTok has a language option that you can switch all the menus there. But most of the product is built in a sense that even if you did not know a particular language, iconography would let you through. Right? Mm. Uh, the same is true for say age demographics as well, right? So my parents use WhatsApp as easily as I do. Mm. And I would argue that at least for a consumer product and an engagement product standpoint, there is no different, no real difference between what a Bharat audience expects and a urban Indian audience expects because the fundamental need states for a consumer are very, very similar. The trend diverges a little bit for transactional products. And that is partly the reason why I believe nobody has been able to crack uh, that tier two, tier three market from a transactional commerce standpoint in a really big way. People have made very good inroads, but my assertion is that we don't understand a Bharat consumer in a very, very deep way. I'll give you an example of a user research that we did in Book My Show to actually help put it in perspective, right? So in a tier two, three market, there is a huge amount of power gap between who avails a service versus who has a payment instrument, for instance, right? So if you want to go watch a movie ticket, you have to ask money from your parents who have a credit card. You have to ask money from your siblings who have a car, who have an ability to pay. Now, here, solving for that particular use case would involve you make all of the decisions and let somebody else do the payment for you or you introduce credit as an option or the solutions could be very different. But I think at the core of it, you identified a problem that this user segment had and then you went about chasing it. Now, a question to ask is, at least from an Indian e-commerce standpoint, what I figured out it working at the companies that you were mentioning, right? Is that an urban Indian consumer is always way more profitable and chasing down a tier two, three customer in a disaggregated way was 
either economically not super viable or like a two year, three year long project wherein uh, the payments infra would also improve and you would then be able to tackle a bunch of these problems. I do see a lot of people making inroads into solving for Bharat, but not in a way where I would say it's really cracking the heart of a problem. For the solving for the world, I think we've made way more progress in that. At least the B2B companies there, right? Uh, the likes of WebEngage, uh, Zoho is one good example, Freshworks is another. Uh, now, yeah. these are people who fundamentally said, look, I will take money from whoever is willing to give it. I will build a product for the largest possible audience. And if you just sort of backtrack that framework, right, you identified a user segment who had a problem, you attacked that problem and you solved it really, really well. You, there was some part of the pot of gold to be had at the end of it. I don't think uh, a lot of the e-commerce companies in India have found that pot of gold and hence Bharat is largely unsolved, at least in my eyes. It, and it's a very subjective assessment, but that's at least my take on the problem. I mean, I think, I think that's sort of fair, right? Because I think if you look at like much of the e-commerce modeling in the early days, I'm talking about, you know, 2008, 2009 or whatever, mm-hmm. a lot of it would show that, hey, you know, you would have that classic thing of like, you know, internet uh, penetration and stuff like that, saying that this is the untapped uh, market that we have and mm-hmm. whatever. But I think in 10 years, people realize that the same set of like, you know, 70 million or 80 million users will transact more than once on the yeah. platform, essentially, right? No matter what reach you go to. Yeah. So, net-net, uh, I mean, obviously there'll be an incremental addition, but net-net. Yeah. So, in, at least sorry, from a commerce standpoint, that story hasn't really panned out, at least in, in a mm, big exactly. way. And I'm still waiting for some signs to... Uh, to point in a direction to saying, look, the actual transacting consumer base in India is is expanding and they are not buying at the neighborhood Kirana store and actually buying at from an online platform. But to be fair, I don't think we've even cracked enough of the problems uh, to incentivize that switch. Sure, I, I'm largely optimistic on that front, but yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Yeah. See, I'm also very optimistic on that front and I'll give you one data point that made me very, very optimistic mm. from at least a Mintra standpoint. The mm. average order value of a person make, placing an order in a tier three market was higher than uh, an average order value in a tier one city. Now, the reason for that mm. was very simple. You don't have branded stores opening uh, opening a shop in mm. a very small town in India. Right, so there is no mm. Under Armour in Patna, for instance. Right, Patna is not a small city by any stretch of imagination. Yeah. If you, my wife will agree. Now, if you have to go buy uh, an actual uh, Under Armour genuine shoe, you have to go via an online medium. Yeah, and when you are solving a real problem of accessibility of that form, there is some amount of money to be made. I just feel like we haven't cracked the entire premise completely yet. It can't just be, you don't have this accessible to you and hence I will try to sell it to you. So you're still talking the greeniest layer amongst a very, very small city, right? Mm. What would be relevant to 
a guy who is a medium level income in a tier three town. That's that's a very interesting point. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was reading a recent uh, consumer study as well, saying that you know, con- consumption is back and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and uh, interestingly, it was being led by the tier two, tier three cities and villages. Uh, in fact, at this point of time, so yeah, I mean, that's there's plenty to unpack on that front. I feel right. right? Really get into the nitty gritties of that. Yeah. So another thing I want to talk about is. Uh, Look at the enterprise, for example, right? Look at B2B uh, enterprise, for example, the applications mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, you know, anytime people bitch and moan about email or Slack or whatever it is, I remind them that, you know, I mean, 12 years back, I used uh, CRMs of those age or those, you know, that era basically, which were, uh, I mean, I don't know what to talk about it, right? So these were just like very databases with lipstick yeah. on it, right? Yeah. So, and now you're looking at, you know, this whole trend of like the consumerization of the enterprise Mm -hmm. as such. So, I mean, do you believe at some point of time, these things will overlap? I mean, B2B, B2C, uh, because Slack has shown itself, uh, uh, you know, to, you know, sort of be a pioneer Mm -hmm. on that, right? If you look at plenty of other applications as well, I mean, forget about the fact that they're very beautiful or whatever, but they actually focus on end users, Mm -hmm. not just the people paying for it, right? So... Uh, I have a two-part opinion on that and I completely just sharing a personal anecdote on the example that you gave. So I joined McKinsey back in 2007, right? So the email client of choice was Lotus Notes for some weird reason. Lotus Notes used to ship with another application. Yeah. <laughs> Lotus Notes used to ship with another application called Kill Notes. Dot exe. So okay. the only job of that was you double click on this and it'll kill all Lotus Notes processes for you. And I had to use this five times a day. And wow. clearly we have moved much, much. <laughs> yeah, we moved much farther ahead than that. I think uh, enterprise in general, right? Uh, the two trends that I was talking about. One is the expectations from an average consumer for design and user experience have increased dramatically also because uh, this has been in parallel with the rise of the smartphones right so if you are delivering a particular service you have to have a software equivalent and what that's uh, a mobile app equivalent what that's meant is at least either the existing providers or new people coming onto the space it is a necessary requirement for people to follow and IT managers mm-hmm. making these decisions cannot make it an isolation for saying if the consumers are not happy, then it doesn't sort of make sense. The mm-hmm. second thing that at least I'm starting to see is a lot of the business model for uh, these kind of tools has moved to uh, SaaS in or a monthly or an yearly payment rather than like That's a... Awesome. Uh, a lump sum which an IT manager used to probably negotiate to. I think negotiation part uh, aside, it's still a subscription that that you're signing up for. And that Mm. has meant that a lot of small companies solving for a very, very small niche, at least in in my team, I counted over the last quarter or so, we had just in my team taken up about 45 odd subscriptions. Wow. And these were very, very small wow. tools solving yeah. a very small uh, problem statement. 
No, and I know this is not the exception as well. Because I know personally as well, I mean, if we look at engineering teams or product teams, I'm sure we'll be using 30 plus applications. Right. Now, what that means is yeah. that even for a very small budget outlay, my team and my team alone can take a subscription tool, which they use for their purpose. If anybody else wants to extend it, they can. It's a agreement mm -hmm. we keep negotiating. So the selling process has mm -hmm. changed a little. You need to convince me as a, a head of a particular team that we need to take a tool try it out if it doesn't work it doesn't work we will junk the subscription at the end of two quarters that is a very different selling process than selling it to an it head in say microsoft it's and right. that probably did uh, inhibit a lot of the sales with a higher expectation from tools and an ability for me to buy tools piecemeal i do believe that the benchmark that a lot of the SaaS companies are held against are also very different, right? So the expectations of a designer using Figma just for my team are very different than uh, what an IT person was expecting a tool like Figma to do. And because of the change yeah. in dynamics, I think the opportunity for smaller companies to small solve for a very small niche are also much, much higher. Yeah, because I think that, that decision making is completely like, you know, decentralized, as you're saying. So you can find silos in every large enterprise mm -hmm. as well uh, and uh, maybe solve a particular problem really well and, you know, hope to, uh, if not like, you know, acquire the entire company as users, maybe, you know, at least the team, Correct. right? So, so at least yeah. at a trial stage, it's much easier because the outlay that you yeah. need to have for doing something like that is not very huge. And yeah. Yeah. Because it's also not a multi-year contract that you're signing into, the amount of budget I have to allocate for all of those 45 tools put together was not in tens of thousands of dollars. And hence... Right. And you can switch on, switch off Correct. as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Ravdeep, let's do a, a rapid fire round just to quicken the pace oh, yeah. a little bit. Right? <laughs> sure. So... I promise this is not going to be anything scandalous. Nothing you can't uh, say on camera or whatever. So uh, let's start with the uh, you know product question to you. Most delightful feature you've consumed? I think uh, it was um, it was the first time I used Uber actually. Uh, the change of me being able to press a switch of a button and a, and I think a, a, yeah, a C class yeah. showed up. So this was when Uber launched in India. Uh, and right. we just happened to go to a NASCAR product or, you know, conclave at that point in time. I think this is four years back. I was completely hooked on this is like, this is the <laughs> shiz man. Like within five Easy. minutes of having pressed a button, a Mercedes C-Class and ends yeah. up at your door. <laughs> it was probably the most mind-blowing yeah. experiences. No, seriously, right? I mean, some of these things, I mean, we take for granted at this point of time. And uh, But if you just really like, look at things in detail i mean it's phenomenal whether food showing up at your doorstep or yeah. i don't know i mean you could order anything these days yeah. right and i also remembered like one of the very very small examples i think uh, swiggy did a redesign two years three years back when they started showing mm. those discounts as that small wheel which turns at a very slow pace mm. and as you keep scrolling faster that wheel also moves faster I thought like as a very small example, that was amazing user delight. 
Yeah, I mean, and uh, Swiggy in India has done some fantastic things, yeah. uh, especially now, right? Post COVID, uh, I mean, body temperature of uh, people and uh, so on and so forth, saying that you know this person was checked about thirty uh, minutes back, his body temperature was found to be this, and and doing that at scale, right? I mean, again, it's just uh, phenomenal execution. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. So, okay, most interesting thing that any user research has thrown up, something that completely blew you away. Uh, I think uh, it was one of the Book My Show user researches as uh, itself. I can give you two or three examples. So we did a survey wherein people from our company went to tier two, three cities, did interviews with people, tried to identify patterns and trends of how people use their smartphones. How does Book My Show integrate into their lives? I think one of the biggest things I realized, which I had never imagined. So there are apps in the Android store, which let you exist in two or three different profiles in, in your system. So you would have two instances okay. of WhatsApp, for instance, and you would use one for family and friends, and you would use one for your girlfriend or your significant other. maybe. Wow. And there were these recurring patterns with a bunch of these tools, like uh, tools that you use to, so I remember as a kid, right? I, we used to rent those uh, uh, CDs or as in what can I say, movies that you rent out for like a very sort of small sum. Most of that has gone digital mm -hmm. in tier three markets in India. So what you do is you pay somebody five rupees or 10 rupees they would transfer that file over Bluetooth. I forget the name of that app, which, uh, which is used to do that, but you basically pay that person money. This person, this file will be transferred over a Wi-Fi network that uh, private Wi-Fi network that will be created between these two apps. And it was a oh. very different usage pattern that I had not, I had not seen earlier. I completely forget the right. name of that app. I think share, app or something I'll, I'll just uh, probably search for that but yeah so a lot of these recharge shop guys and stuff like that i mean they you know they either help people download songs or like you know download movies transfer movies and so on and so forth i've seen that behavior as well. so yeah. that was like a all the recharge shops monetize using something like that and mm -hmm. just the tech behind it and how that thing worked was phenomenal for me I mean, at least two, three years back, I had no idea that this world existed outside my uh, sort of cocooned existence. And that's partly the reason right. why I was uh, in the Bharat answer. I was being very skeptical to saying, I don't think we as PMs understand the market enough to saying that we are going to crack it. It's the people that I used to interact with had no idea that this world existed outside our cocoons in that right. sense. No, I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, I mean, people have this what the, you know, whatever kind of movements a lot of times, right? I mean, between what you expect and what the users are actually doing. So, okay, tough, tough questions coming up now. So, uh, if you were head of product at Netflix, what is one thing you would change? Uh, I think they're spending a shit. I'm sure you've thought about yeah, this. They're spending a shit ton of money doing that already. But I think a lot of the... Uh -huh. Content is uh, content discovery is actually quite broken in Netflix. So they do claim to do a lot of personalization, 
but for the width of catalog that they have, if I open up the app on a daily basis, which I have done since Corona, the new content mm. that I'm recommended is very, very poor. So mm. content discovery. What do you think? Sorry, please say that again. What do you think? Can the content discovery overall, right? So using signals okay. from what I'm trying to watch to inject newer content that their catalog might have. I think what they're trying to do is to very sharply focus on what my interest areas are without ever understanding in very uh, huge depth on what I might want to watch in the future as well, right? So uh, I think specifically to just give an example, right? I would not mind watching a lot of indie film content because they have never recommended it. They don't even know that it's a hole that I can go down deeper in. And because I also don't spend a lot of time trying to clearly articulate or search for a specific type of content on Netflix, they never get to know. And hence my usage is continuously down on the platform because every time I open, they keep showing the same stuff. I don't make the investment that I would have. And then I back off. Maybe... Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting problem to solve, right? Maybe, I mean, you know, based on uh, usage or whatever, they could probably poll you at strategic points to say, hey, I mean, would you be interested in something like this? Correct. Right? And the way they do discovery today, right? There's just a section for new releases. There's a section for continue from where you left off. And then pretty much mm-hmm. exactly yeah, things yeah. that you have seen in the past, they would try to create widgets around this is a theme that you might like. This is a theme that you might like. Now, mm. ideally, they could have a lot more themes there and the product solutions to the problem could be very many. But introduce themes that I probably just see a trailer of more frequently or try to poll me, as you were saying, as an extended onboarding for somebody who's seen like 100 videos. Maybe try to inject mm. more stuff around it. And I see Spotify doing that quite a lot at this point. Phenomenally well. Yeah. Yeah. No, the amount of, uh, so there's a couple of things, right? I mean, when I look at YouTube and Spotify, Mm -hmm. Spotify does that better than Netflix, but YouTube hands down does that better than uh, Spotify. Just the new new content discovery as such, right? I mean, you can just go down a rabbit hole on, uh, in in YouTube actually, really. And uh, YouTube has sort of dedicated sections for saying, trending content, there are things Mm. that are relevant for your geography, I will sort of surface that up. Netflix does it, but it's toned down. So if YouTube does it at an eight or a nine, and Spotify does it at probably Mm. a seven or a ten, Netflix is at two or three. No, no, yeah, there's a huge difference. The thing is, at least from my standpoint, this is a critical recipe for success. It's an area that Netflix cannot mess up. Billion dollar, billion dollar, uh, problem to solve okay. for sure. Specifically, right. when you're spending billions okay. of dollars trying to beef up that uh, pro- yeah. your own productions, it yeah. arguably you should be focusing on on this as highly as as well. Yeah, yeah. What's that? I think uh, seven thousand movies or something of that sort. They're going to ship a year, so it's insane. Yeah, I think their sixteen billion dollars or something was their uh, budget for productions this year. Okay, next big question. Uh, If you were head of product at Uber, what would you change? Head of product at Uber? uh, I think the biggest change will be multimodal transport. So the thing that I, I mean, 
till at least i was in india i used to use uber all the time i do know how to drive but i could not drive in bangalore traffic it's just not possible uh and bangalore requires a different level of expertise yeah also i mean i am little bit too laid back and the kind of stress that uh driving causes yeah. I, i just can't totally get it. it yeah totally get so it. in cities where there is a little better public transport infrastructure the ideal scenario mm. is that you book an uber from your home to the nearest train station or bus station mm. or whatever take the bus at the mm. end of the bus then you are able to take another uber or a lime scooter or whatever that is to find it kind of like how uh, google suggests Correct. right basically like look at maps that's how it suggests Correct. but i don't see uber or any one of them jump to do it because again it's it's at a loss of revenue Correct. right for them and the challenge with them is that it's a huge uh, monetary disincentive in the short term correct i do yeah. believe that in the long term it would work out though a lot more people yeah. will start picking it up yeah. just to go to a shortest distance in yeah. the fastest possible way and cities can't really scale up long term right it's a topic that i've thought a lot about i think city infrastructure mm. is going to be the biggest laggard and yeah if a city like bangalore has to be really reformed and has a fledgling bus service from point a to point b more feeder points into that point a and point b will actually help manage the traffic situation in a really really big way than uh, than it would otherwise so that is one of the things yeah. that i would argue i think the other one at least for uber would be uh, better programs for the drivers because i did believe that while i was taking a lot of these cabs myself uh, the gamification from a driver standpoint felt to the point exploitative at least they felt like they had to mm. do x number of rides every week to get the incentive that they were yeah. getting and sometimes they were being yeah. pushed above a particular limit yeah beyond safety yeah, yeah. so I, i i know of a case where a friend of mine was traveling to the airport and uh, you know the driver slept off at the wheel yeah. right uh, and literally swerved off the road so it was uh, yeah i mean thankfully nothing happened but then you know i i completely get that they're all pretty overworked i think uh, okay final head of product question to you head of product at whatsapp what would you what would you change uh the biggest thing that i would change would be uh, the merchant solution i think they are sitting on that yeah. gold mine they just exactly yeah they have been talking about solving it for ages they just have not yeah, uh, yeah. solved it yeah. right so there is no reason yeah. why i don't want to pay my mitman via whatsapp he's on that platform i know yeah. it yeah. and no and even so even i was thinking from a business perspective as well right so i mean i i went to the salon recently i took mm-hmm. that risk right uh, and uh, you know i was just talking to the guy and i was like look i mean there are a whole bunch of people looking all sorts of uh, you know whatever neanderthal in my uh, you know apartment mm-hmm. right now nobody has had a haircut, haircut in about 3 4 mm-hmm. months right why don't you just whatsapp all these guys a video of like you know how you are wearing a mask and sanitizing everything and then doing that stuff just as a you know carrot to dangle in front of these guys it could be his crm right basically yeah. and 
So that's a trick that they've missed out on. So from the smallest of merchants, the middleman yeah. example that I was giving to like very established yeah, yeah. chains trying to yeah. do their work. Uh, yeah. All of that market is underserved today. Because every other experience, whether it's Google Pay or Paytm or whatever, feels broken at some point, right? Yeah. And, yeah. No, I, I completely agree at least with that. In an Indian setup, yeah. that's the problem to solve. And I would argue, even at a global level, man, there's no outside of China where there is like an Alipay and a WeChat, all of that infrastructure. The conversational part I've seen, uh, I've only sort of seen being tracked in my travels. For instance, I was in Thailand once and the Grab driver sort of interacted with me and tried to deliver food at the right place at the right time. But, and because we didn't know each other's language and we could still talk and uh, give, you know, give instructions in that sense. But that market overall is uncracked across the world. So I, I would argue it's a very, very big opportunity for WhatsApp. Yeah, huge. Huge opportunity, I feel, especially given the penetration that they yeah. have. Okay, uh, moving on to some fun questions. What is the best quarantine hack that you've discovered? Oh, uh, I think the best one I've discovered about myself that I'm a creature of habit. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, just having very small rituals like waking up in the morning, making breakfast is me prepping up for beginning to work. And yeah. at the end of work, I will go out for a run. It took me four weeks to realize that this is what I was missing in my life, that there is no beginning ritual of work and yeah. end ritual of work. And yeah. that meant that work continues throughout the day. Uh, yeah. When Once I realized that this these small things do matter and now I go out for a run every evening, I'm much happier. Things are much more settled. So You're product managing yeah, yourself. Yeah, in a big way. And I'm like, very ashamed to admit it took four weeks for that realization to dawn. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, so I'm not a big fan of, I, at least I wasn't a big fan of work from home. I'm not sure if yeah. you were. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't at all. And uh, initially the same thing happened, right? I mean, there's no compartmentalizing office and, you know, home mm-hmm. and stuff. So work kept uh, bleeding across, mm-hmm. right? So some some of the days you just, wake up to a call and then sleep with the, you know, earphones in your uh, yeah. ear. Uh, and it's just one whole bleed. And to me in the morning, it was washing utensils. Yeah. <laughs> so I would wake up and wash utensils and my mind would be like, oh yeah, yeah. correct. Start of the day. Yeah, so, so I realized this one of the days, right? I joined a call very early in the morning, about 8 a.m. With like everything on mute and me having like a brush in my mouth. That's the day I realized, no, I have to do something. <laughs> so, and I mean, right. then I invented these small rituals, and now I actually enjoy work from home. I, I mean, office yeah, is yeah. open. I could go yeah. back if I wanted to, but uh, uh-huh. I don't think I do need to, and I will for the next few months for sure. Yeah, likewise, I kind of have resigned myself to working out of home for the rest yeah. of the year, so I don't think it's going to happen Same anytime way. soon. Same way. Okay. What books are you reading at this point of time? What books would you recommend? Uh, I'm reading a couple. So I'm back to... So, oh, you're one of those. You read two books yes, in parallel. non-fiction, one non-fiction. Generally, that's what I do. So the non-fiction one I'm reading okay. is called In Service of the Republic. Uh, mm. I will just... I think Vijay Kelkar and uh, just... Ha, Ajay Shah and Vijay Kelkar 
So like I was mentioning, I do like reading about economic policy quite a lot. These guys have done a fantastic uh, job on that front. Uh, I highly recommend it to anybody who wants to understand incentives and uh, public policy in general. And mm. uh, the second one that I'm uh, reading is more around, uh, it's more a fiction book, which is uh, mm. like complete out and out pot boiler, uh, Robert Gilbreth, the Silk Worm, the J.K. Rowling. She's now writing like a detective series. So I listen to podcasts quite a lot. So yeah, so Storytel is the platform. Yeah, so basically Silkworm is what... My next question was, what podcasts would you listen to? Uh, the one I listen to most frequently is Amit Verma's uh, series. So it's mostly around public policy, history, some intersection of that. And it's a fairly long podcast. I think every week it's about a two-hour, three-hour uh, podcast. It's wow. called uh, Seen and the Unseen yeah. is the name of that podcast. And the book recommendation is also from the podcast itself. So these two gentlemen came podcast. on the platform and uh, have written a book. So that's the one that I was reading. So the fiction book that I was mentioning, The Silkworm, is also like an audio book that I listen to when I'm running. Okay. So, okay. Very interesting. Hey, this has been a fascinating episode. I mean, this conversation could... Uh, you know, go on for another couple of hours, I'm sure, but I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, so, you know, since we're nearing the end of this, right? So my final question to you is that, you know, you have a bunch of uh, startup folks listening to uh, uh, this podcast at, you know, in difficult circumstances, I would say. Uh, so any words of advice to people who are listening on, you know, what they could do? Uh, I think the only thing that I would mention is that I was around when the 2008 downturn was happening. It was my first yeah. job pretty much uh, that I had signed up for. Uh, in the long term, things are generally sorted out. And a depression of this thoughts creates more opportunities than, than otherwise, right? So some of the most right. profitable companies that I have seen or companies with very, very high market caps that I have seen were generated in that 2008 to 10 period where uh, sort of money was looking for the right opportunities and it landed on anybody's doorsteps who was sort of showing a way out of this crisis, right? Because there is a certain kind of investor who is right now investing in gold, right? Anyways, that's not the kind of person who's going to give you money. Uh, yeah. There is some way a VC also has to justify saying I will make a 15%, 20% on my overall portfolio. They can only do it right. for breakthrough companies. And, and they have to allocate their capital, okay. right? So you, anything that you can do to cut down burn in the short term, figure out a way to survive the storm and be true to the mission that you started off your firm with or your product with. I think you will end up at the right place. There's just some conviction you would have to have to sustain this particular storm. It is going to be hard because the recession yeah. predictions are also about twice as worse as they were in 2008. So yeah, it's a balance that you would have to strike, but mostly things in the long term do turn out well. Right. 
that's a fantastic note to end the podcast on thank you so much uh, for your time ravdeep this has been a fascinating fascinating conversation a lot of insights for people to kind of absorb reflect and think about uh, so thanks again thanks so much for making the thanks time so much, thank you glad i could be helpful yeah Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Startup Operator. We'll interview operators at fast-growing startups and curate insights that can help you do better. This podcast is available on all popular platforms. If you like our content, don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you. Until next time, put your head down and execute.